Well, good morning, church. Welcome to those of you who have joined us in person this Memorial Day weekend. I know we have several families who are out traveling uh, on vacation, visiting uh, family and those kinds of things, or camping over the long weekend, but we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you're joining us online, wherever you're tuning in from, we're glad that you're there as well. Uh, I have a few announcements for us this morning as we kick off, really just one big announcement, VBS, okay? Um, it is here, so not this Sunday, but next Sunday, we'll be uh, kicking off that Sunday evening. Um, Alyssa uh, has indicated that if you're scheduled right now or signed up to volunteer with us, you should have received an email last night or early this morning uh, with all the information um, about decoration days, about prep time, uh, work day, and volunteer training. And so if you have any questions about any of that information, uh, you can see Alyssa, she's here this morning. Uh, she'd love to answer those questions for you. And if you didn't get that email, please let her know so she can forward you that information. Um, as always, we could still use a handful of volunteers uh, to make the workload a little bit lighter. So if you've yet to register to do that, please do so. If you haven't registered your kids yet and they're planning to come, or grandkids, or random kids you meet in the neighborhood or alongside the street that you're just bringing with you, um, go ahead and get them registered so we can have an accurate head count and be prepared. really the only announcement I've got this morning, and so I'm going to turn it over to Zach and the vocalist as Zach calls us to worship and they lead us in song. Good morning, church. Will you please stand and read with me from the book of Romans? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church. And this week has been a lot, and there's been a lot of heartache, there's been a lot of hurt, there's been a lot of fear. But church, our hope is in Christ. Our our Joy is in the cross, and our hope is in salvation. So church, that is who we're worshiping this morning, and I just wanted to encourage you with that as we begin to worship.
You may be seated. Good morning, Redeemer Church. How are you this morning? I love that good morning. Thank you. (laughs) Well, uh, this is one of my favorite times of our weekly service is when we have corporate prayer together as a church family. You know, there's power in prayer, and especially when God's people are praying together. And I don't know how you uh, take advantage of this time in your personal worship, but this is actually a corporate worship time. And I know this has been a a crazy week. I know a lot of us have poured our hearts out to God all week for the families and community affected in Uvalde. And frankly, some of you are worn out, maybe a little discouraged. And what I would tell you is use this prayer time today 
to rest in the Lord, to just experience his shalom, that peace that only God can give. Maybe you need your soul to be restored a little bit. Maybe hearing other people whisper prayers will be an encouragement to you. But if, if, you're, if you're just worn out from crying out to God and, and finding trouble understanding, just spend time resting in God's goodness and in his faithfulness. But also, we, we are celebrating Memorial Day weekend. This is when our country sets aside a time to honor those men and women who gave their lives in service for our country. And God may prompt you to have prayers of gratitude, prayers of thanksgiving for the freedoms that we enjoy and, and understanding the cost of those freedoms. But maybe you know someone who's lost a family member in the military. Would you just pray that God would show you how you could reach out and encourage them tomorrow and, and be a, a source of hope to them? But also, um, something that's been on my heart this week, and I think especially since Redeemer is going into a very busy season of children and students ministry, how important our job is as a church. David said in Psalm 22, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So Redeemer Church, we are helping fulfill the prophecy of David in our own generation, and we're making spiritual deposits in future generations. So as you serve in our children's ministry, you're doing much more than filling a gap that needs to be filled. You are investing in future generations. And so I, another verse that I would like to share as we enter this busy season, people going to camp, VBS, all hands on deck for those things, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So for those of you who've been serving faithfully in our children's ministry, our student ministry, don't grow weary in well-doing this summer as things really heat up and it gets really busy. Find your joy and your comfort and your strength in the Lord. And for the rest of us, we need to lift their arms in ministry. And that's what I'm going to ask us to do today as our prayer focus is to recommit ourselves to proclaiming Christ to the next generation through the way that we teach our children in our homes and in our church and that we would be the kind of disciples that we need to be to be investors in making spiritual deposits in the next generation. So would you pray for your own heart that God would make you a person that invests in the next generation. Would you pray for our workers, our volunteers, and our staff this summer as they begin to really kick into high gear? Would you pray that their arms would be lifted up and that they would have the strength of the Lord? Let's just spend a few moments in corporate prayer, and then I'll lead us.
Father, we thank you that your son preached a sermon where he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lord, we seek your comfort as a state and as a nation today, given the events of this past week. Lord, we, we seek comfort for all those whose families were affected by this, for a community who is reeling from this. Lord, would you just bring comfort and peace and grace into that situation? Lord, for those of us who are discouraged by this, would you encourage our hearts and remind us that your son has won the victory and that this world needs a savior and that's why churches like Redeemer exist to minister to hurting people and to offer the hope of the gospel to a world so in need of a savior. So thank you for the faithfulness of this church in proclaiming the gospel and trying to live it out in our daily lives. Lord, we also lift up those volunteers and staff in our church who are about to have a very busy summer as they invest in the children of our church and our community, God, would you give them a special measure of, um, of your grace, Lord? Would you empower them and lift up their arms and, and may their arms be lifted up by our prayers and our encouragement? And Lord, may we all together see this as an investment in not only this generation, but in future generations. Who knows what you're going to do through these children that we're investing in. So God, may we not be weary in well-doing as a church. May we uh, continue to, to uh, make a difference as you give us strength, Father. We trust you. We rely on you. We ask for you to fill um, our volunteers and our staff with, with power and with the ability to, uh, to make a real difference in these students' lives this year. Lord, we pray all of this in your name, and we ask that you be with uh, Pastor Shannon as he brings our message. Would you fill him to overflowing with your spirit? May you give us hearts to receive um, what he's prepared today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, at this time, if you've got a kiddo in the room who is third grader under, and you would like them to go down the hall for their lesson this morning as we move into our sermon, uh, Miss Bethany's in the back of the room with the Blue Redeemer Kids shirt on. Um, they can make their way down the hall uh, for their lesson this morning. Um, as they make their way out of the auditorium this morning, I just want to uh, bring to your attention the fact that if you missed the email that went out on Friday, uh, that we did go under contract on the piece of property along Highway 66. So our 90-day shot clock has begun. Um, and uh, yeah... The, uh, the title company is going to order a survey and flood study, and we're going to get all that stuff moving and then begin to jump through the city's hoops. And so we'll keep you updated as that process continues to unfold. Very grateful for all of your prayers, uh, all of the encouragement, um, and looking forward to seeing what the Lord is going to do as we move forward in this process. So um, this morning, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, you can open it. Um, please do. Uh, but we're going to be bouncing around a bit. This is, I don't normally teach very topically, but this morning is going to be an exception to that. Um, when, it, when we talk about having a strong spiritual core, uh, we believe one of, the, one of the aspects of having a, a strong spiritual core is that of belonging to a body, belonging to a local church, being vested in a particular place with a particular people. And since there is really no... Um, seventh chapter of First Timothy, right, that tells you, thou shalt become a member of a church. 
uh, and then list all the reasons why thou shalt do that. Um, we're going to bounce around a little bit and try to piece together evidences from several different passages of why we believe that church membership does have biblical roots. Okay, And then we'll see how some of the practical results that it has as well, and then talk about what we need to do with that. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. But before we get started in the, in the text that we'll look at this morning, um, I just want to be very clear out of the gate that church membership is not like membership in like a record club. Some of, you guys, some of you remember what record clubs were way back in the day, right? Um, it's not like membership in a, a country club or a wholesale club like Sam's or Costco or anything like that. See, in a club, membership's about access, about privileges, about perks that you get um, because you've paid your dues. But in, mem- in church, membership is about responsibility, accountability, and discipleship. Okay, and so there's a big difference. You need to flip the switch a little bit whenever you think about a club versus a church as we talk about membership. And so what pieces of evidence do we see in the New Testament for this concept of church membership? I think there's at least four that I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, as we work our way through this topic together. Um, The first one is this. It's the oversight of elders. The oversight of elders. In the New Testament, elders or pastors, they're likened to shepherds. And as shepherds, they're commanded to oversee and care for the flock. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not dying, but being examples. Exercise oversight. Exercise oversight. And that word for exercising oversight is nearly synonymous with demonstrating compassion or care or concern for the flock. You see, oversight of elders is not just about programs and budgets and facilities. In fact, when Peter wrote these words, they didn't have programs and they didn't have budgets and they didn't have facilities. They had people. People. So this oversight that the elders are to exercise this attentive, compassionate concern and care for those members of the flock where God had made them an elder. It's to be concerned about those individuals who are a part of the church who were teachable and hungry and wanted to grow and learn. And for those who thought they already knew everything they needed to know. Right? It's concern. For those who are giving generously and sacrificially and concern for those who aren't giving anything at all. It's concern for younger brothers and older brothers. Those living in hard-hearted sinful rebellion and those living in hard-hearted self-righteousness. It's concern for those with strong consciences. Those who are tempted at every turn and those who also have very weak consciences. It's concern for those who are well and able to serve and be present and concern for those who are sick and homebound. It's having compassion for those whose hearts are hurting, those whose hearts are in the midst of healing, and those whose hearts are perhaps too young to have been shattered yet. It's concern for those in the deepest valleys and those at the peak of the mountains, for those who just buried children and those who are expecting 
and getting ready to deliver or adopt. It's for those who just lost spouses to awful diseases and those on the threshold of the delights and joys of marriage. It's care for those who are present and those who are absent. It's for those who appear to be be stuck, those who are evidently in positions of waywardness and wandering. It's care for them. It's concern for those who are aligned with the mission Jesus has given His church and the vision He's given to her local leaders. And for those sheep who have a tendency to bite. Because they do at times. Because they're hurting. Or because they're in a position of unhealth. Or they're disgruntled. It's concern for those who are living in harmony with one another and those living in the midst of disputes that need some sort of resolution. That's oversight. That's what Peter charges the elders to do. To demonstrate this attentive, compassionate care for the flock that he has entrusted to them. So if the Bible commands elders to exercise oversight and care for the flock of God that is among them, among them, not among another church, right? Not among a parachurch ministry, not among a weekday Bible study, not among a network of friends in the neighborhood who all like to hang out together on Friday nights, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, okay? But that's not what Peter's charging the elders to oversee here. They're, he's charging them to oversee a particular people in a particular church in which the Holy Spirit has established them as an overseer. Right? So the oversight of elders. Second of all, the submission of members. In Hebrews verse 17, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are exercising oversight. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the question that emerges out of this particular verse for elders and pastors is, for whom must I give an account? Right? Is it everyone who walks through these doors on a Sunday morning? Right? Is it people who maybe they show up one Sunday and they're like, man, we're so glad we found this place. It's such a respite and the people are so warm and friendly, but they never show back up. <laughs> right? Is it the people who say, well, when, when I go to church, I, I go to Redeemer. Okay? Right? Is it those individuals um, who ne- habitually neglect the assembling of themselves together for regular attenders, for people who decide by themselves, this is where I want to be, and people who decide by themselves when it's time for them to leave. And I would answer to that question, I would answer a resounding no to all of those questions. Rather, we must give an account for those who submit themselves to the leadership of a particular body of elders in a particular church. Not, not, we're not accountable for serial daters, okay? Those who are commitment phobes, who just bounce from place to place to place to place to place, and they spend three months here and then three months here, really vest themselves deeply in a local church and submit to the counsel and teaching of those elders. And this is why we hold what we call covenant membership, where we explicitly outline what that looks like for us. Now, there are many people who are a little suspect of the idea of a church covenant. Okay? And they're like, show me in the Bible where they had church covenants. Right? Let me respond to that here for just a moment. Right? When we think about our church covenant, we think of it as akin to our doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement is a summary of, everything, of what we believe the Bible teaches, the most important doctrines the Scriptures teach us. They're not everything the Bible has to say about everything. Okay? 
but they are the most fundamental things about what it means to what it means to understand who God is, who we are created in His image, how to be reconciled to Him, right? So they define what we would call our orthodoxy, right? Those two words, ortho and doxy, right belief or right doctrine. Now our church covenant works very similar to that, right? Our church covenant is not our orthodoxy, but it's our orthopraxy, okay? It's right practice, in other words, if this is the things that we believe to be true about God and true about us, then what does that look like as it's fleshed out in life on life together? And so rather than letting, uh, rather than allowing, okay, everyone to make that up for themselves, we've defined what we believe the scriptures teach with regards to that. And if you read our membership covenant, it's essentially point after point after point after point of Scripture, 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 Scripture. Here are the things that God calls us to be as a church body toward one another. Let me give you a couple of examples. First, I covenant to maintain a close relationship with the Lord Jesus through regular Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and practice of spiritual disciplines. In other words, I'm going to walk with Jesus as a member of this local church. That relationship will be evident through my participation in weekly worship services, monthly communion, Redeemer life groups, service to those around me, and a life that glorifies Jesus. All these things are things the Bible affirms and calls us to. Another one, I covenant by God's grace to walk in holiness as an act of worship to Jesus Christ who has saved me from my sin that I could live a new life. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.17, your new creation in Christ, and I want to function that way and walk in holiness. I will seek to work for the upbuilding of the church by refraining from activity that can stir up division such as gossip. Okay? Or another one, I understand the importance of submission to church leadership and will be diligent to preserve unity and peace. I adhere to Redeemer Church's position on closed-handed theological issues and will not be divisive over open-handed issues. Right? All of these things are just outlining expectations of what we believe the Bible teaches about how we relate to one another. Right? What we believe vertically in our doctrinal statement, how we live right, horizontally in our church covenant. And by affirming the membership covenant, we're agreeing that the Bible teaches we ought to commit ourselves to one another Right? See, all, see for reference all the one another passages in the New Testament. Right? We could go through all those this morning, but we have, don't have that kind of time. Okay? And so uh, we commit ourselves to one another and we submit to leaders. Now, this is not a blind submission. Okay? That's why Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 5 whenever he says elders exercise oversight, right? not under compulsion, not eager, for, or not, 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 uh, not, not greedy for dishonest gain. And not domineering, right? And so if your leadership in a local church is abusive, heavy-handed, and oppressive, then it's not blind submission to that and say, well, we just got to follow along because that's what pastor said we got to do, okay? Or if they're embezzling money from the church, right? That's not good, okay? There are certain things that you go, I, I won't go along with that, but to the degree that the leadership it's not perfect, but it's healthy and is tending to the needs of the flock, caring, exercising oversight in ways that are honoring to Christ. The members are called to make that a joy for them by submitting to that leadership. So the oversight of elders, the submission of members. Third, 
the practice of discipline. The practice of discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, in verses 15 to 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, as someone who does not know God, they do not walk with God, they don't have fellowship or relationship with God. Now the one thing to notice in this text, uh, or one thing to notice, there's a lot of things, but one thing I want to point your attention to is the statement in verse 17 where, where Jesus says, if they don't listen to you, and if they don't listen to the two or three that you take with you, then you tell it to the ecclesia, the assembly, to the church. Okay, church discipline in, the, in Jesus' mind, is not to be exercised by an elder, okay? And it's not to be exercised even by a group of elders, but by an assembled body of believers who belong to one another. See, without church membership, the submission of members to the oversight and care of a group of elders and a commitment to a particular body, then church discipline makes no sense whatsoever, right? How could we, how could we set, how, how could we sit, do what Jesus says when he says, treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile and say, you're no longer giving credible profession, right? Or, or no longer giving credible evidence of your profession of faith. And so we're concerned for your soul. Right? How, how do you do that outside the context of local church membership? See, if you've never stepped forward to covenant with a body of elders in a church while you were in your right mind, because we lose our minds sometimes, don't we? But while you were in your right mind and agreed to be disciplined by those people in that place, and when the time comes for discipline, you will say, who are you? Who are you to challenge me? Who are you to correct me? Who are you to speak into my life? But if you have moved forward in covenant when that time comes, you may still say, who are you? Because that's just the natural bent of the fallen human heart. But then we will say, we are the ones that you have covenanted with for the witness of Christ in the world and your own growth in holiness. That's who we are. We're not better than you. We're not better than you. But we belong to you and you belong to us. So the practice of discipline and fourth, service to the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes these words, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if the foot should say, I, because I am not a, a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it, it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. For the church, that in this metaphor that he uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is that of a body where every member is connected and accountable. Every member is connected and accountable. Listen, there's no such thing as an arm right, or a hand, right, that is disconnected from the body, that functions apart from the body. You don't have amputated arms and hands, like, dragging themselves around on the ground, going from place to place and opening doors for people. If you did, man, the zombie apocalypse has happened, okay, run for the hills, right? You don't have amputated feet and legs hopping around, going from place to place, or ears just kind of flopping on the ground trying to hear and discern things, or just mouths and tongues laying on the table trying to speak and wax poetically about whatever comes to their mind. You don't have that because every member of the body is connected to the other and dependent upon the other. So that when one suffers, all suffer. When one rejoices, all rejoice. And then he also speaks in 1 Corinthians about the service to the body, about how God has gifted and equipped various members of the body with particular spiritual gifts so they might serve one another. Peter's going to say it this way in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That word varied is the word that we draw our word variegated from as we refer to botanical plant, right, plants and stuff like that. We well, you know what it means? It means this. It means there's various stripes and colors and shades. And so God's grace and the way that he bestows gifts is varied in colors. All different types of shades and tints and each one of them have a place and a part to play in the body. To use it to serve one another, to steward it well as a gift that God has given And so serving the body. So these four pieces, there is no, like I said, 1 Timothy chapter 7, verse 1, you should become a member of a church. But there is the oversight of elders in a particular place over a particular people. And there is a submission of members to a particular group of elders in a particular body that they're committed to. There is the practice of discipline where when someone is caught in sin and waywardness and folly and foolishness, it's prolonged and public, right? There is correction that is engaged in. And there is service to this particular body. Listen, you you can go and use the gifts God's given you in so many ways, in all types of domains of society, but it starts here in the local church and grows out of that. So, those four pieces of evidence. Now, with, with this concept, seeing its biblical roots, I want us to consider some practical results. Right, some practical results. And, and here's what I would say with regards to the practical results of membership. This is why it helps strengthen your spiritual core. 
okay? Because what it does is it functions to help protect you from the currents of the culture in which whatever church, right, wherever the church is positioned, the currents of that culture. And I would describe it this way. I would say that membership is a seawall. It's a seawall. You know what a seawall is? A seawall could be made out of a variety of substances, made out of sheet metal or concrete or rock or sandbags or those little precast stones that you might buy at Lowe's or Home Depot, right? Just about anything that won't wash away, tires, right? All kinds of stuff. Uh, anything that won't wash away could be a seawall. And the purpose of a seawall is to provide soil stability at the point at which the land meets the water. Because over time, what's, what happens at that point where the land meets the water is as waves crash against the land or against the shore, particularly on the main lake area right, of a body of water, as the waves come and crash, what do they pull out with them as they come in? Soil, right? And slowly but surely, it begins to erode that portion of land as those waves just pound it over and over and over again so slowly it erodes and in fact in some areas you see where it's kind of created like these little overhangs of soil right because it's kind of hollowed out underneath it by the way if you ever see one of those don't stand on it because it's probably not very stable okay don't go to the very edge and go oh hey because you're going in okay Uh, because it 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 creates this hollow section that's unstable But whenever you put a seawall there, something that keeps the soil from eroding, then those waves can crash, but but it provides stability for the soil. It doesn't allow it to get sucked out into the water, into the lake, or into the ocean. It keeps the land from washing away. And listen, it serves to protect you and I from the cultural currents that would erode erode your individual walk with Christ and our collective witness for Christ by forming us into the image of the 21st century Western culture as its waves crash against our lives. And there's two waves that I'll, I'll mention to you this morning that I think are, we're swimming in as a culture for the last 50 years. It's the air that we've been breathing for the last 50 years. And the first protects us against consumerism. See, many sociologists, commentators, educators, theologians, scholars, teachers, pastors, they've observed that one of the waves crashing against the shore of of our lives and against the church is that of radical consumerism. And consumerism has a pattern, has a power, and it has a product. The pattern of consumerism, it tells us a story about who we are based on what we buy. Okay? Like the brands that we buy. Our identity is defined by the brands and experiences that we're able to afford, right? We're told that the places that we shop, the food that we eat, the things that we drink, the clothes that we wear, the furniture in our homes, the tools and toys in our garage, those are the foundational aspects of who we are, right? That we are what we buy. We are what we consume. And consumerism tells us the good life is found in being able to buy the right goods, the right services, and right experiences for you and your children to enjoy and for others to be impressed by. That's the pattern of it. The power of consumerism, listen, there's nothing more powerful in the story of consumerism than perception. And it's the perception that you have of yourself as one who can afford these brands and these goods and these services and these experiences, and it's the perception that others have of you as that kind of person as well. But it produces a product. Now, you may think consumerism well, maybe just empties the churches and sends people to shopping centers. 
on Sunday mornings. And for some, maybe it does. I'll tell you one other impact that it has. It, it, consumerism doesn't necessarily empty the church and send people to the mall. It brings people to the church looking for the mall. Looking for the shopping center. See, those whose lives are shaped by the story of consumerism come to the church and they come to Jesus looking for a product to sample, not a people to serve. Right? They want something uh, that, that they believe that, they, that, 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 you know, some kind of good or service that the church can provide. And it leads people to see their church involvement like a pleasant airplane ride. Okay? Right? Yeah, a, a good airplane ride, right? Where there's not much turbulence and everything goes real smoothly. You're not stuck at the gate for two hours, all those kinds of things. But, you, but basically what you do is you all board the plane together. You sit down in the seat and you look to your left and you look to your right. And there's all these strange that you've never seen before and you're all just kind of there sitting together you're hearing the same announcements you're eating the same peanuts right uh you're drinking the same cokes right you're 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 listening to uh, talking with the same flight attendants and you're going to the same place hopefully you end up in the right destination and the same destination right and that's how we view our church involvement so we're just we're just we're just spectators consuming goods and services sitting next to people that our lives have not been woven together with because there is no covenant relationship that we have with those individuals that's the shaping power of consumerism it brings people to the church looking for the mall looking for goods and services as a result we measure the life and success of a church by the size of its programs the goods and services it provides, not by its faithfulness to the mission. So as a member, you don't shop for a church with better goods and services. What you do is you in helping to create ministry, not just consume it. That's how membership helps protect us against that. But the second wave it helps us protect us against is that of individualism. See, a second wave that's crashing onto our lives is that of individualism. Trevin Wax, you've heard me quote him before about this. He, he talks about expressive individualism in this way. He says, according to this way of thinking, the goal is your unique sense of self, no matter what others may say or do to challenge your freedom of personality. The narrative arc of your life is finding your personal route to happiness by following your heart, expressing your true self, and then fighting whoever would oppose you, your society, your family, your past, or your church. See, individualism tells you you are what you feel. Consumerism tells you you are what you buy. Individualism says you are what you feel. So you look deep inside yourself, discover your identity, meaning, and purpose, and then live that out regardless of the consequences that they may bring. And this, listen, this sounds so natural in modern Western minds because it is the air, that, the oxygen that we've been breathing, or maybe call it carbon monoxide, we've been breathing for the last 50 years. Right? It's been woven into the fabric of every cultural narrative, every story, every movie, right? This is the air that we've been breathing. To break from convention and be true to yourself no matter the cost. That's the pattern, the power. Listen, there's nothing more powerful in the story of individualism than the feelings a person has internally. Which is why, right, when individualism is ruling the day, right, there is no longer external objectivity which 
behaviors and thoughts are being measured against, but everything boils down to internal subjectivity. Because it's all based upon how a person feels, and then it produces a product as well. It produces soul-collapsing pressure on us. Because it, here's why. Because it erodes any sense of common or shared values. And Jesus becomes just one more option that may work for some, but not for others. There was a secular psychologist in Poland named Eva Hoffman, and she wrote a book called How to Be Bored. You've heard me cite her before as well. But she talks about living in a culture with limitless number of consumer choices that all must be made by an individual because they're not referencing any people who have come before or any people who are alongside of them. And so you have these two things being layered together, consumerism and individualism. And this is what she says. We have choice in every area of our lives from career to partners to our own sexuality, the sexuality of our partners, to how, how we want to have children, to when we want to have children, to if we want to have children. The seemingly limitless number of choices in a consumer culture. But we also live in an individualistic society so that all of these choices have to be made by the individual. Very demanding condition, she says. We need to know what we want. We need to know what we think. We need to know what our values are. And we need to figure all this out from within ourselves because there's no sort of general code or value system which tells us how to proceed about this very wide range of choice. She said, you, in a consumer culture, you've got all these choices and you've got to make them all individually because you've got to be true to yourself and how you feel. And there's no external standards that can be laid on top of that to help you make those decisions. Imagine the... That's, pressure to know exactly what you want at every juncture and listen membership in a local church you take these two things together right and the the, the cultural currents they want to shape us into the kinds of people who decide for ourselves to connect to a church based on how it makes us feel and what kind of programs it offers and whenever it no longer makes us feel that way, or the programs are no longer applicable, then we find another place to go. Right? If you don't believe me, sit in the seat that I sit in for just a little while. And you will see that cycle as it just continues to unfold. It's like the difference between covenant marriage and common law marriage. Right? They're not the same thing, by the way. <laughs> Type of marriage legally on the books in some jurisdictions where if a couple's been living together long enough, presenting themselves as married a certain amount of time, and they just kind of back into marriage, right? But covenant marriage is to take a step forward in tension and to commit yourself to another person before God and your friends and family. Right? And so when we think about membership here, we're not thinking about common law membership, but about covenant membership. So it's not like, well, I've been going to Redeemer, and I just consider myself a member there. No, that's not how it works here. Right? Now you step forward with intention to commit yourself to a body, to belong to them and them to you. So what do we do with all this, right? These four pieces of evidence and then these two results that membership helps with in our lives the first thing i would say and i got two things and i'll be done and out of your way and we can go finish hot dogs or burgers or whatever for memorial day but listen 
The first one is this, is that we ought to move toward membership. You move toward membership by doing two things. First of all, put yourself in a position to move toward membership if you're not a member of a local church. Are you, I mean, and this is what I mean by that. Are you a Christian? All right. Have you repented of sin and trusted in Christ, placed your confidence in Him, been born again? Have you passed from death to life and darkness to light and despair to hope? Love for His Word and the love for His people that you did not know before now growing inside of you. Right? If that's true about you, right? if you're a Christian, placed your confidence in Christ, been born again, that's the first step to putting yourself in a position to become a member of a church. If you have not, then place your confidence in Him this morning. Second of all, have you been baptized? Have you publicly borne witness to your faith in Jesus? Or is your Christianity a private matter in your life? For no one else's, right? No one else's uh, can put eyes on that. Have you been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, publicly declaring your loyalty, love, allegiance, and affection to Jesus and Jesus alone? Has your faith in Jesus ever come out of the closet? Or is it still behind closed doors? If you're a Christian this morning and you've been baptized, then move into membership in a local church. Whether that's this church or another church. If you're listening online and you're sitting on a couch or at a dining room table and you've been doing so since the pandemic, maybe now is the time that you need to begin to move towards membership in a particular place with a particular people and to be present with them. For here at us, uh, here with us at Redeemer, right? Not only do you put yourself in a position, but then you work the process. And here's the process for us. Once a month, we have a reception following our service called Review, where we share a little bit about our core values that we've just preached through, right? We, re- we, we share about what matters most to us as a church. We let you meet some of our leadership and then let you ask whatever questions you may have about our church. Following that, once a quarter, we have uh, what we call covenant membership class. And in those classes, we talk about our doctrine, we talk about our vision, we talk about our mission, we talk about the expectations of members, the expectations of those kinds of things he covered in that class. And we host those once a quarter. The next review reception is June 26th, and the next CMC, or covenant members class, is August 7th and 14th. So if you're not a member of a local church and believe the Lord may be leading you here to become one, begin to take those steps. After those steps, our el- one of our elders would schedule an interview with you where we would ask you about your conversion, where we would ask you uh, about your understanding of the gospel, where we would ask you about where you're connecting relationally in the life of the church. Can we help you find a life group to plug into or a men's group or a women's group to study with? And then where is it that God has gifted you and how can you leverage those gifts for the sake of serving the body that to whom you now belong? Following that elder interview, then we would put you before the church because if the church has the authority based on the scriptures to discipline its members then it ought to be receiving them in as well. And so the church would affirm you by vote and then you'd be received into membership. So that's the process for us here at Redeemer. Okay? But move towards it, whether it be here or in another church. But the second thing that I would say this morning is for those of you who are already members, and I would want to encourage you to mature in your membership. Mature in it. And there are three ways I want to share with you this morning, real briefly. First of all, mature in your stewardship. In your stewardship. And in, st- in stewarding all aspects of your life. 
Stewarding your influence with other people in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Stewarding that well. And then begin to invite them. Right? I, I wonder if some of us looked at the calendar, how far back we would have to go before we would find the last time we invited someone to come and worship with us at Redeemer. Right? How often do we think about those that we're meeting, those that we're connecting to, where are they connected to a faith community, to a church body? Can we invite them to come and, and be a part of what God's doing here in our church? So steward your influence and those invitations well. Steward your time right, and your attendance. As we move into the summer, that's always right, a spotty time where people are traveling on vacations, doing all kinds of fun things. We want you to do those kinds of things and make memories with your family. But listen, don't sacrifice your presence here with a gathered body just because you're tired you stayed up too late on a Saturday night, right? There's a, there's a difference between those two things, right? Steward your time well. Steward your resources and giving well, right? If you've not yet begun to give and you're a member of this church, take that step. Mature in that, right? That's part of what it means to belong to a church body, and if you're not using your gifts to serve, begin to do so. So mature in your stewardship. Use your gifts. Use your time. Use your gifts to love on this local body. Second of all, mature in your relationships. If you're not in a life group, you're not in a women's group, not in a men's group, connect to one now. Don't wait. My wife and I have been having this conversation even recently. We've had a couple of life group experiences here at Redeemer over the years. Um, and we have had paused for a season to step out. For whatever reason, my presence in life groups sometimes, it just creates awkwardness for some people. Um, and so it's just a nature, it comes with the territory, okay? Um, I've come to terms with that. Uh, but we are in the process of looking at stepping back into one because we feel like we need that as members of this church. So if you're not in one, move towards one, connect in one, and then third, some of you maybe need to move from uh, just attending as a member to owning some ministry here. Right? There's a difference between, those of you who parents will recognize this, there's a difference between babysitting someone else's kids and giving birth to one and raising it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Some of you, I, I hear one of them in the back of the room saying amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? There's a difference between those two things. Right? You can babysit, and some of you, that, that may be where you are, right? There's ministry that's already running and operating, and so you just plug in, and you become a part of that, right? Or turning knobs on the soundboard, all those kinds of things. We need people to fill those spaces. But then we also need people to think creatively about how God's called them, gifted them, and wired them, about how they can give birth to some ministry here and help raise it and recruit others to be a part of it as our church grows and expands. Right? And so it's moving from just attending as a member to maybe owning something. We have a lot of great folks who have plugged in to areas of ministry. But man, there are some things that I would love to be able to hand off eventually. Right? And see someone take the reins and own it and move forward. So maybe that's you. And if the Lord's tapping on your heart this morning, I'll be at the back of the room afterwards. You can stop by and visit with me. Right? So biblically, okay, submission, oversight, discipline, service. It's a seawall to protect us from the cultural currents that would seek to erode us and turn us into the kinds of people 
who make decisions only on the basis of what we feel and the goods and services available to us. So move towards membership. Mature in your membership. And see what God may do in our midst and in our community as we strengthen our spiritual core and the longing to a local body. Let's pray together. I thank you for the members of this church. I thank you for the blessing they have been to me personally. I thank you for the ways in which they have served faithfully, given faithfully, used their, stewarded their, their, their time and their energies well. I thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would bring more and more and more men and women who have a vision to be a part and to belong to a local body. To be under oversight of having elders care for their souls. And they would submit themselves to that. Not blindly, but humbly. And that, Father, where sin arises, God, that we would, we would be a part of tamping that down through discipline and helping people heal and have their souls cured so they might be healthy, functioning members of the body, healthy eyes, healthy ears, healthy hands, healthy feet to serve. Would you protect us from the winds and the waves of our culture that would seek to erode our commitment to Christ and to His people. For those not, who are not a member of a local church in our area, God, may they find a place to establish roots, to come under the oversight, to be a part of serving, to submit their lives, whether it be at this church or another. And for those who are members of this church, God, may you help us grow and mature in our membership so that we would exalt Christ and truly be a beacon of light and a gospel outpost in this city. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as Zach and our ladies lead us in song in response to what the Lord has said. If you have questions about the sermon or about the church or about Jesus, I'll be at the kiosk in the back of the room. I'd love to visit with you back there on your way out today. Would you lift your voices as we respond? Maybe you need to pray as you process what the Lord has said to you through His Word this morning. Um, but those of you who, uh, whether you pray in silence or you lift your voice in response to the Lord, I invite you to do that this morning as they lead us.
you. I'll be at the kiosk back there in the back of the room. I'd love to shake your hand, get your name, um, and answer any questions that you may have this morning. Uh, but as we go, uh, enjoy the rest of this Memorial Day weekend uh, with our friends and families. I'll leave you with this benediction from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. May you go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, church. You are dismissed.